All right, well, again, good morning, everybody. Um, just as it is every week, it's uh, so good to be able to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ and, uh, man, just spend time together. Spend time, listen to God's word, praise him, worship him, um, not just in song, but also in his word. And, uh, man, th- this time is always good for, for my heart, and I'm sure it is for you guys as well. Um, our, our weeks are always filled with different things. Some things expe- expected, some things unexpected. Um, but we know that, uh, man, our God is faithful and he's good, um, not in a me-centered way, but in his faithfulness uh, to his church and through his son, Jesus. And we get to gather today freely and we get to worship him. And so, uh, man, that just makes me really excited. And I'm glad that we get to spend this time together as we do each week. Um, we're going to jump in pretty quick. I do have a few announcements, um, but, uh, man, t- today's passage is... Uh, uh, has a few different components going to it, and as Matthew said last week, it's uh, man, it's a lot. It's heavy. This is a heavy passage, um, and so prepare our hearts for it. But also know that in challenging, heavy pa- passages as we're going to read today, um, there's also encouragement and there's also comfort in Christ. And so we get to uh, wrestle with this together today, and I'm excited to do so. Um, first, let, let's uh, go through a few reminders that we have um, announcements as well. Uh, first, our Legacy K4 book donation. First of all, thank you guys for bringing a bunch of books. I went to go kind of lift that thing up, and it's heavy. Like, my back is now going to be spazzing out all day. And so appreciate you guys doing that. It's still going throughout the month of July. Again, those are picture books uh, for K4 students over at Legacy. And uh, we're going we're gonna to help fill their library so the teachers have uh, really good resources to pull from. So I appreciate you all taking part in that. Um, as, you most, as you may notice, if you look around, we're missing a few dads and a few sons. Uh, they're, they're at camp this weekend, um, but uh, if you are in here and you're a father and you uh, wanted to uh, uh, grab a book Matt, that Matthew was giving out, it's a great book that we went through at our men's retreat, and uh, man, we, we would love for you to have one. So if you signed up for it, those are on the back table. I don't have it with me, but it's a blue book. It's really hard to miss. Um, you can go ahead and grab that on your way out. And then lastly, uh, our uh, uh, women's retreat, not women's retreat, that already happened as well, but the women's breakfast will be next Saturday at 9 a.m. at Tupelo Honey. And so this is something that happens uh, once a month throughout the summertime. Us guys, we went and ate biscuits last week. It was a lot of fun. And uh, uh, the the women are gonna meet up next Saturday. So if you're interested in that, you wanna join and eat some good food and hang out, you can go ahead and uh, ask Abby or uh, Becky, and you guys can go ahead and RSVP. That is a, it's a stamp, it's stamped on there. So RSVP and make sure you let uh, Abby or, or Becky know and they can go ahead and get you hooked up with that. Uh, well, nonetheless, let's let's go ahead and jump in um, to Mark 8. I do want to go to the Lord first in prayer, and then we will uh, build up the story, and we will jump right in. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we, uh, we love you, um, and we're just so thankful for your faithfulness, for how good you are. Um, God, not just saving us, um, not something for us just to say, yeah, we're saved, but God, that um, you care enough for us that you confront us with areas and things in our life that um, we may twist uh, uh, for your mission and call it your mission or, or, or call it you, but Lord, we, we, we tend to drift in our, in our own patterns and our own ways. And Lord, I'm just thankful that you secure us, you sustain us, and you help us persevere and grow in the faith. And Lord, I, I just pray that this passage today to my heart and to all of our hearts in here, that you would encourage us, you would comfort us, you would convict us, and you would challenge us to live out our faith in you and follow you um, in the way that you have called us to do so. So we love you, we praise you, in your name I pray, 
Amen. So Mark chapter 8, verse uh, 31 through chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, again, a few different uh, components going on. Um, last, last week's passage that Matthew uh, taught through is very important. It's kind of the hinge point of Mark's gospel, right? So you have these four different gospels, and these gospel writers are basically um, giving a narrative of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And these are really smart dudes. Even though they're, they're, they're fishermen and they come from different walks of life, they're smart guys who put these things together. And they selected and adapted and arranged, and arranged these words and uh, these, these different uh, verses and passages to fit the narrative that they wanted to show their original audience and us today of who Jesus is. So the first eight chapters, we see that Jesus is showing to the people around him, and we get to read, and he's showing to us that he himself is God. He's doing this through the way that he is healing people, healing people in ways that nobody had seen before in their time, since the, some of the prophets of old. He's even forgiving sin, which only God can do. And this is causing opposition from people around him. And not only is he um, healing people and, he, and healing them and forgiving them of their sin, but he's also, he's also speaking of this new kingdom that is coming to earth, a kingdom that can't be um, bought, a kingdom that can't be birthed out of traditions or our ways and walks of life, but a kingdom that is solely going to come through Jesus himself, through God himself coming to redeem his people. And this is something that the prophets in the Old Testament speak of. They speak about a day where the Messiah, the Deliverer, is going to come and bring his people back in relationship. That all of us have fallen short of God's glory, of his standard. But yet, out of his love for us, he has come to deliver us of our sin. And so last week, we see Jesus speaking to a group of his disciples. And he asked them, what is it that people say I am? Or who is it that people say that I am? And they're like, well, some people say that you're Elijah. Some people say that you're John the Baptist or you're one of the great prophets. But then he asks them, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter stands up. He's always the, the one to speak, whether it's good or bad. And he says, you are the Christ. Now, I love how Matthew put that. Um, is the Christ means the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Deliverer. And so the hinge point, we know that Jesus himself is God, the one who sent the world to bring his people back in relationship with God. And as Jesus had shown that through his actions and through his love for others and through his authority, it was a person, a people created in his image who verbally professed it. Isn't that great that he allows, he allowed Peter, he allowed his creation to be the one to verbally confess, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah sent into the world. So Peter has a super high moment, right? He's the one who confesses that Jesus is the Christ. Feeling really good about himself, I'm sure. Well, the next passage right after, which we're going to read through now, he has a really low moment. He has a really low moment, a teachable moment, and a moment where all of us have experienced before. And if you're a Christian, man, we, we have fallen into this sin. We have fallen into this way. And as Jesus confronts it, he also comforts it. He encourages Peter just as he encourages us. And so I'm going to read through the passage, and then we'll kind of break it up in a few different parts and dissect it and, and see what's going on here. So starting off, Mark starts in verse 31. He says, Then he, Jesus, began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes to be killed and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. And so Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him or correct him. 
But turning around and looking at the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but only human concerns. And then calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And then he said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. There's a lot going on here. It would have been normal for a, a religious teacher of that day, a religious teacher that people um, trusted in, for him to be able to predict the future, or for him to be able to maybe tell things of uh, his death, to foresee them, to be able to tell people around him. So Peter isn't rebuking Jesus because he's foretelling the future. He's, he's, he's saying something about a death, but the specific details of this death are very concerning to him. So Jesus is speaking to them, and he's telling them that as God's kingdom is coming to earth, as the Messiah has come, and Peter has just confessed him as the Messiah, as the deliverer, that this kingdom to come to earth, there's going to have to be a payment. This is going to be the first of about three times in the next few chapters that Jesus is going to specifically foretell his death and his resurrection. He tells them that the Son of Man, which the prophets refer to the Messiah as the Son of Man, Jesus is saying the Son of Man, it is necessary, it must happen that he will suffer many things. He's going to suffer people opposing him, which he already has in his ministry. He's going to suffer beatings. He's going to suffer betrayal. He's going to suffer literally his body being ripped open to an unimaginable proportions to carry a cross and to go and to be murdered, to be killed. But not just a physical death. God the Father is going to pour his wrath out on Jesus, the wrath that is meant for us who have sinned and who have strayed from God's design. And as he is telling these people about this, this, this plan. You have Peter that comes along and he was like, and he rebukes Jesus. I, I can only imagine what his specific words were. Bringing Jesus out of this important moment. But the truth is in these first couple of verses that we see is that the path that Jesus is paving, man, it is, it is difficult, but it is clear and it is perfect. This is the perfect will and the perfect plan of God to redeem his people through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. It's difficult, but it is clear and it is perfect. And Jesus, as our deliverer, as the Messiah, he can be the deliverer without a payment. Freedom comes with a cost. And for Jesus to purchase our freedom, it comes with a cost. This goes all the way back into the Old Testament when we see that God delivers his people from Egypt. They were under major, major oppression. Not only physical oppression, but spiritually they were entangled with idols and the things that they were accustomed to in the culture of that day that they lived in, in Egypt. And God, by his grace, didn't just 
free them from Egypt's oppression, but freed them from himself because we know that there was a time where he sent the last plague on Egypt, which killed every firstborn. But he told Israel, and the word was also for the Egyptians, to trust in God and to put the sacrifice of a perfect lamb over your doorpost so that when I come, I will pass over you. And we know that this even happened with some of the Egyptians, that they trusted in the Lord, foreigners coming into the family of God because they made the journey with Egypt and were brought into Israel, redeemed. So Jesus, the, the same thing of deliverance and payment, there has to be a payment. There has to be blood shed for our sins. And as Jesus is teaching this to his people, we have a moment where Peter decides to say otherwise. And so as he spoke openly about this, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, began to correct him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, you see Jesus didn't just kind of whisper in his ear, say, hey man, not right now, like, we'll talk about that later. He turns to his disciples and he corrects Peter and tells him, get behind me, Satan. For you are not thinking about God, God's concerns or the things of God, but only human concerns. Now, man, you, when, I, when I first look at this, I'm like, goodness, he, he called Peter Satan. Like, what's the correlation there? Well, he wasn't saying that, Peter, you are in fact Satan. But in other words, Peter, your intentions, your mind, the thoughts that you have yourself set on, they are the actions of Satan. They are Satan-like. Because when we look in the garden in the way that Satan had tempted Adam and Eve to believe that their own ways, their own lives, their own understanding is better than what God has planned and given them. That they, that they can be their own gods. They can be in control of their own life. As Satan, the great tempter, told them or asked them, you know, did God really say that if you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil that you will surely die? Like, you're not going to die. And so Peter, as he is trying to put his own plan in Jesus' plan, in the path that he is paving, Jesus is telling him that his actions are Satan-like. And he says that your thinking is not about God's concerns, but it's only about human concerns. And looking at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, Paul's writing to the Colossian church. He says, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. There is important repetition throughout Scripture that our minds and our hearts must be set on the things that are above, on God himself, to trust in God himself and not in our own ways. That, that, that passage that, that, that is in that sent to the Colossian church in that letter from Paul, it goes on to talk about when your mind is set on the things below and it lists out a bunch of sins with idolatry being the anchor of that. When our minds are set on the things of this world and our own desires that are apart from God and his will, then man, they are going to be Satan-like and our actions are not going to reflect what Jesus has called us to do or how Jesus has called us to live. Peter, as a disciple who has just confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, he still yet has much to learn. And me, Zach, as a disciple, a follower of Jesus, you guys who are followers of Jesus who have been redeemed, man, we have much, much to learn. We have much to learn. 
But it's a good thing that Jesus confronts us. It's a good thing that Jesus confronted Peter here because it's to sustain Peter. It's to correct him when he is drifting apart and to bring him back onto the path that he is paving. You see, this path that Jesus is walking down isn't laid out before Jesus because Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is life. He is the one who is making a way for us to be in a relationship with God. It's him and him alone. And so he is paving this way for us to walk down. And this, this road that we are called to walk down is no different from the road that Jesus had to walk down. It's no different. It's difficult, but it is clear and it is perfect. And we see, well, what does it look like for us to follow Jesus? If we confess Jesus as the Messiah, as Jesus, Jesus as the Deliverer, the One, God Himself in the flesh who has come to redeem us, well, what does that mean for us? How do we apply that? What does that look like for us in our lives, in our culture? Well, Jesus moves on, and he gives us the answer, calling the crowd along with his disciples. He says to them, If anyone wants to be my follower, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will indeed lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel, they will save it. Our path is not a safe path. It is a difficult path. It is a difficult way laid out by Jesus who embraced the cross and went to death on our behalf. But it is clear and it is perfect. Now, when Jesus is saying these things to the crowd around him, we have to understand in their context, most of them had to be and the understanding that it is very possible that they were going to be killed in the same way that Jesus was killed. In fact, all of his close disciples but one was martyred, was murdered for their faith in Christ. And the one who didn't die was because Jesus was preserving him as he was exiled on an island for him to write the book of Revelation. But he was poisoned, and yet the Lord allowed it to not kill him. So it wasn't that he just had a safe life and arrived. No, he had a rough, difficult life. And so Jesus is telling them, look, this safe life that, that he is talking about, or that, that Peter is confronting him about, it doesn't exist. Because the road that Jesus is traveling down is leading to his death. He knows where his actions are leading him. When Jesus is forgiving people their sins, when Jesus is healing people and the religious leaders of that day, and people are gnashing their teeth at him, gnarling their teeth, wanting to murder him, setting and plotting up his murder to kill him, to arrest him illegally, he knows where his actions are leading him. He knows that this does not lead to a safe life. And so he is extending that to the people. If you want to follow me, then you have to understand that you have to deny yourself. And this may cost you your life. And I, I know, for, for me at least, I know that that might not be as a big of a thing as it was for them in our culture today. Or I should say in America but you go overseas or you go into different parts of this world where we have brothers and sisters in Christ who they can't meet like this today. They have to travel maybe weeks at a time up a mountain to go and to worship secretly to learn. And they thirst for it. They hunger for it because they've been redeemed by Jesus and they want to learn more and more about Jesus with their lives expected that they may not come home to see their family. That they may be killed for the faith and they know very well what they are walking into. And yes, that, that may not be something that we specifically have to deal with every day, but we are still called to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, and to follow Jesus. And guess what? It is going to cost us something 
And more than likely, if we commit ourselves to follow Jesus in the way that he has called us to follow him, it will cost us more than just something. It will cost us everything. Because everything cost and given for his sake and for the gospel moving forward, man, is so, so worth it. And so what, what does that look like practically in our lives to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus? Well, it means simply, man, we have to kill the sin and the things of our life that oppose Jesus's mission, that oppose the path that Jesus has paved. I, I put myself in Peter's position. How many times do I want to live the safe life? Do I want to live the comfortable life? Do I focus on the things of this world and the things to my day-to-day, things that are apart from God, that my life starts to become comfortable? That Zach starts to become more selfish, more self-centered, me-centered, rather than extending myself for the sake of the gospel for others so that those who don't know Jesus may come to hear the gospel and God may save them? How do we deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him? first, I know that, man, selfishness must be put to death. Selfishness must be put to death, and the safe life also must be put, put to death. We, we want to know, well, what was Jesus' mission that made him go to the cross? Why did people hate him so much? Yes, he confessed. Yes, he was confessed to be the Messiah. Yes, by his actions, he was saying, I am the one sent into the world. He was forgiving sins, aligning himself with God. Because he is God in the flesh. Yes, he did these things. More than not, he was sitting with people, sharing meals with people, loving people, serving people. That these religious law and leaders and the leaders of the law, they condemned Jesus for. He hung out with people who were tax collectors. People who stole money from other people. Who, who, who sinned greatly against God and were hated by others. He shared meal with people who uh, were living immorally. He knew who they were. He came for them. And he was sharing meals with them. He loved them. He served them. He was so moved with compassion that he had a gut-stirring moment in him to go and to serve people, to heal people, to love people, no matter the cost, no matter what people said about him. He wanted to extend his love and his forgiveness, and he knew that what was it going to cost him to ensure that? It was going to cost his own life. We are called to the same mission. We are called to go and to serve the broken, to go and serve those who are lost, to go serve the widows, the orphans, to go serve those who don't have anything. I'm not just talking about material stuff, but who have no hope. It can look like a lot of different people in our lives that God has placed us around. Those people will not hear the gospel if we live the safe life. Those people will not hear the gospel if we live the self-centered life, if we build up our own kingdom. And this is the point that Jesus is getting at. Again, he's confronting Peter because this is toxic to his mission. It's toxic to the gospel. It's the exact same thing that Satan had done in the garden to Edom. He's twisting God's creation. He's twisting God's order. And it's so easy for us to get twisted up in the relaxation and things of our life to where we pull back instead of pushing forward. So kill the selfishness that's in us. Kill the safe life that's in us. Now, what I don't want you to hear me say is, go and just run like crazy and, and put yourselves in the worst possible situations. No. But when you commit yourselves fully to the Lord, and you're trusting in Him and walking with Him, 
A lot of times I want to say, God, please put the opportunities in front of me. But the thing is, the opportunities are already there to serve people. The opportunities are already there to sacrifice something in your life to bring the gospel to somebody, to meet somebody, to serve somebody, to share the gospel with somebody. The opportunities are always there. My prayer for my heart is, God, help me be sensitive to those situations. Help me be sensitive to those opportunities. To not ignore them or not to subconsciously just put them in the back of my mind, but to approach them with a gut-turning motivation in the same way that Jesus was moved. Help me walk and live in the same way. No matter the cost. No matter what it costs our resources. No matter what it costs friendships. No matter what it costs our family. Jesus went through these same things. His own family thought he was crazy. They called him out and said, man, you're, you're, you're crazy. You're, you're crazy in the mind. They opposed him. It's not going to make sense to this world when we go and we serve those that sometimes maybe we as a church have been against in the past. Maybe us as a church said, oh, you're not holy enough, you're not good, and your life hasn't been good enough to, to walk with us, to be a Christian. We are called to these people. And there will be pain with that, there will be suffering, and there will de definitely be heartache. There will be pain, there will be suffering, and there will definitely be heartache. There, there might be tension between you and, and, and other Christians or people who call themselves religious or call themselves Christians by serving those that the world doesn't want to touch or that a religious community doesn't want to touch, doesn't want to serve, doesn't want to love. But man, that, that, that's the cost that we have been given to go and to bring Jesus, to bring them to the feet of Jesus, that they may see the beauty that Christ loves them, that he has redeemed them that they have been called to repent of their sins, and that they can follow Jesus and have new life in him. No matter what relationships it costs us. Or for us, as we have been called to live a holy life, we have been called to walk with the Lord. We have been called to, to follow him, to, to shed off our sin, to leave it behind and follow Jesus. That might cause some tension as well. That might cause tension with people that don't know Jesus, who only might know you for, from your past and living a certain way. Who knows? But it's going to cost us when we pick up our cross and we follow Jesus. There will be pain, there will be suffering, and there will be heartache. And I think if we're real with ourselves, we will find more, I, I don't want to say dangerous in the sense of, hey, you're, you're going to go and like necessarily lose your life every time, but dangerous in the sense of it's going to cost us greatly in some part of our life when we go forward. It will happen. But in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our heartache, just as in the good times and the joyful times, man, Jesus is in the midst of that. As, as Paul writes to the Roman church that there is absolutely nothing in this universe from galaxies far out. You see the new telescope pictures? Stinking awesome to see how far those galaxies are far away. Nothing that far out and nothing so deep inside of us can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that can separate us. And so as we have been called to live this life of discipleship, to follow him, no matter the cost, no matter what we have to endure, no matter what we have to go through, no matter what pain or suffering or heartache, Jesus is in the midst of that. He's with us. And no pain, no suffering, or no heartache compares to eternity with Jesus. He's calling this to, to the people and to the crowds around him. He moves, as he's moving on, in verse 36, he says, For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? 
What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What is possibly worth gaining here on earth if we lose our own soul? You hear about it, people, famous people, people who have gained everything. Lives end tragically, or, or they express, man, I, I feel like I, I've gained nothing. One of my favorite athletes of all time, Tom Brady, draws a lot of hate, some love. Dude's won seven Super Bowls. After his third Super Bowl or fourth Super Bowl, he, he did an interview, and they had asked him about it, like, what's next? And he says, man, you know, I, I have gained everything. I've won all these championships. I've won all these things. I've experienced all this stuff. I have everything. He's like, but there has to be something more, right? There has to be something more to life. Still, there's an emptiness, even in some who may have gained the whole world, that there has to be something more. Man, there's nothing worth gaining in this world that compares to our eternity with Jesus. We'll never stop learning about Jesus. I mean, we, we get excited when we learn about him in Scripture and we sing songs about him. But there will never be a time when we're like, man, there has to be something more. With Christ, we will be, we will be filled for eternity, learning more about him. You think those pictures of the galaxy are crazy? Man, just imagine what's going to be like in, in eternity with us serving him, rejoicing, worshiping him, serving him with, t together with one another, perfectly, sinless. Nothing in this world can compare to what is gained in eternity with Christ. And then Jesus moves on, and he says some heavy things. Words of those who are ashamed of me, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of them when he returns in glory, in the glory of his Father with, with the holy angels. When he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. There's been a common thing kind of repeated throughout Mark's gospel of the unforgivable sin. And we have talked about that a few times. Well, again, what I don't want us to hear from this part is that if there's ever been a moment where you were too afraid to share the gospel, or you didn't serve this person when you know you should have, or you didn't do something that you know the Lord called you to, that, that isn't us being ashamed of Jesus and Jesus coming back and being ashamed of us. What he is speaking of is a life lived fully to where publicly or privately or both, we have been ashamed of Jesus. Denied Jesus. Wanted to gain the entire world. Wanted to gather everything we could get. Or maybe trying to produce works an entire life so that Jesus may love us. Or that Jesus may say, alright, you made it. Good job. You served enough people. You dropped off enough donuts. You did a good job. The unforgivable sin... Again, for those who don't know Jesus, man, this is a warning, but, but this, is, this, is, this is grace that Jesus is extending to people who don't know him to put their trust in him, to put their lives in his hands. Knowing that they don't have to be ashamed of him, but no matter what the circumstances is, no matter what cost is given to, to seek out people who don't know Jesus, to bring the gospel to them, man, they have everything in Christ. 
They can't have everything in Christ. But those who live a life who are ashamed of him, who deny him, God is good, and a part of God's goodness and holiness is, man, he's just. And sin cannot be swept under the rug, and it hasn't been swept under the rug. The wrath of God has been poured out on Jesus so that we may be free in him. Those of us who have believed in him, who he has saved and redeemed and given us the faith, the tool of faith to believe in him and walk with him. But his wrath still remains on those who live a life of denying him. So that's what Jesus is saying to them at this point. But if you're a believer in here, this is a good warning. I mean, you hear it in Hebrews of, man, don't fall away from the faith. Don't lose your faith. That's not a, if if you have faith in Jesus, it's possible to lose it. No, once we're saved, the Holy Spirit stamps us. He owns us. He he has us forever. We will never lose our salvation in Jesus. But this is a healthy warning because whenever we do start to steer off track, like Peter in this moment, we are convicted and we are confronted with the truth that, man, this is not how we're called to live. When my mind is focused on worldly things and not on Christ and he confronts me with it, it's painful, but, man, I'm comforted by it because he cares about us so much. He cares about me so much. He cares about Peter in this moment that he confronts him so that he may put him back on track to walk. And we know that Peter's path is corrected, that he walks down the path that Jesus paid because Peter himself was murdered for his faith in Christ. And as tradition has it, he was uh, even murdered on a cross. He didn't want to be murdered in the same way that Jesus was murdered on the cross, so they turned him upside down. We see Peter's ending. To that tradition, what they say, regardless, he was killed for the faith. It's good for Christ to put us back on the path. It's good for Christ to correct us, to confront us with our sin. So it's a warning, but it's comfort. And then lastly, he closes up, which technically it's in the beginning of chapter 9, but it will be a bridge to what Matthew will bring us through next week. Then he said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here today who will not taste death, until they seek the kingdom of God, until they see the kingdom of God come in power. This kingdom that he just spoke of, of uh, him when he comes to the glory of his father with the holy angels around him, this power and this kingdom that is coming, there's about to be a moment that's going to happen in, in, in this next passage. He's about to bring a few select disciples, close friends with him to the top of this mountain, and one of those disciples is Peter, the one who just rebuked Jesus, and then Jesus rebuked him confronted him, but we see Peter with him. He sees Jesus in the glory of who he is not, not just as man, but as fully God as well. In this moment, with Elijah, with Moses, it's it's an incredible moment that we're going to walk through, and Peter is invited into this. So that's what Jesus is saying is, some of you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come in power. There's a significant moment coming, and I'm excited to walk through it. But just know that as Jesus confronts us, he encourages us. He encourages us. He still invites us. He does it out of love for us. He does it mainly, mostly, and importantly through his word and word alone. And he does it through us. As brothers and sisters in Christ, man, this is the joy. It's good for us to hold each other accountable. It's good for us to walk with each other, to share things that are going on in our life that God is doing great things. And it's great to share things that don't line up with Jesus. How can we hold each other accountable so that way we may walk in lives according to the scriptures in joyfulness, 
and do so putting our lives, no matter the cost, on the line so people may come to see, hear, and respond to Jesus Christ. Man, it, it is a clear and perfect glimpse that these select individuals are going to see on this mountain of what eternity will be like. How the cost will be completely worth it no matter what it costs them in their lives. And I pray that the same is for us. And so a few questions as we head out that maybe you can think and put in your mind and just ponder on today. Have conversations with your accountability partners, with your community groups, with your families at the dinner table. Share these things. What does the cost of following Jesus look like in your life? Where you're at right now, think about the place, place where you work at, your neighborhood, your dinner tables. Our city, what, is the, what does the cost in your life look like to follow Jesus? What are things that we have to put on the back burner, say no to, to say yes to Jesus? What are things that we have in our life that we can uh, say with a joyful heart, God, thank you so much for giving me this, where I can give and serve people with it. And one thing I want to encourage our people with is, man, you guys do such a great job at giving what God has given to you. I mean, that change jar that was given for camp, that thing was filled up so stinking fast. Like, I remember as a kid having one of those big crayon containers and trying to fill it up with pennies and stuff because I wanted that Xbox. I never even got, like, to 10 bucks. And during that day, Xboxes, you know, now you can get it for, like, 100 bucks. They're, like, $250, the original. But now, I mean, I'm sure it's still sitting in storage somewhere, just a quarter filled, you know, with 10 bucks in it. But that change jar in two and a half weeks or three weeks or whatever, and things was like over, overfilling with it, over, overflowing, whatever the word is with it. Man, you, you guys have generous hearts to want to see God move in our kids at these camps. It's awesome. The way that you guys give and help support us as we love the city. Legacy K4 has been so thankful for how we've been consistently able to serve them and build relationships with them. And that's because you guys are counting the cost and allowing Jesus to use what he has given us. Man, it's a huge encouragement. And it doesn't, and nothing to even do with finances or anything. Man, just the time that you guys give to serve. Our city, yes, but one another as well. Meal trains, supporting people when they're going through difficult times. Not wanting credit for everything, just putting your foot down and going and moving. Moving towards what needs to be served and who needs to be served. That's an encouragement. Keep it up. In these areas that we're doing well in, man, how can we continue to count the cost? And what are some ways in our life and some areas in our life where we know, God, you know, it just doesn't line up with you. Confront me with it. How can we count the cost to where we can continue to give all to Christ? Jesus confronts us because he loves us. So just think, how, how is he confronting you today? Maybe, maybe you're in here. Maybe you know somebody who isn't a believer in Jesus. Maybe they've been running from Jesus for a long time. Maybe the church has hurt them. Maybe they, they, they don't feel comfortable or good enough to have a relationship with Jesus. Man, what does the cost look like for you to go to them to share the gospel, to give everything for the sake so that they may come to know and trust in Jesus? And, that, and if you are an unbeliever in here, man, we'd love to talk with you. We, we, we'd love to share life and, and ask or answer questions and, and just do life or whatever, however hard it may be or difficult or whatever your past has been with church or whatever, man, we love you. We're here for you. If you are a believer, continue to count the cost. Continue to love those that 
many people may not want to love. But Christ has come and given his life on the cross so they may have life and life in him. So Jesus encourages us. He, he convicts us. He confronts us. But he ultimately comforts us. And that may, that may mean that we, it costs us everything. We, we, we never know. We have to be willing to give everything we have for the sake of the gospel. God's calling you overseas. Man, we partner with people who, who specify in that specific manner. And they help send people overseas. We're going on a, a, a trip to Guatemala to go and help serve their community later this year as Abby is heading that up. Man, it's, it's going to cost something, literally. And it's going to cost something in us to get something up to be able to make that happen to go. What is it going to cost us to go and to, to love our neighbor who just moved in? A lot of people I'm learning down in the South, I'm not from the South, they love pork. We call everything a barbecue up there, but we hardly eat barbecue. Down here, a barbecue is barbecue. I mean, people love pulled pork. What is it going to cost you to burn that smoker one more time this week to go and bring some people some pork, some pig, go enjoy a meal with them? Whatever it may cost. Do it and do it for the glory of God and know that we can do this with joyful hearts. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we love you. Um, thank you for just being so generous to us during this time. Help us uh, help us just shed away and kill the sin in our life, God, that doesn't align with you. Help put us on the path that you have, that you have paved. Help count the cost. And uh, Jesus, we just, uh, we just love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen.